Hello, hello. This is Kathy Cola's Audiobooks, and today we have episode 11 of Operation Arrow Fletcher by James Burns. David finds a horrible surprise as he searches for Carly. Carly reunites with Ahmed for a moment. David and Carly are going on a trip. Here we go. Cadillac rolled up in front of the cabin and remained idling. Hayes was late, 20 minutes late. Carly snatched her keys off the counter and hurried out the door. She locked the deadbolt, rattling the door, making sure it locked in place. Carly walked down the steps. Nearing the bottom, something caught her eye. The outline of the driver through the darkened windows, smaller, shorter, While the Cadillac idled, Sarah watched, a gun resting on her lap. Here she comes. Wait until I lower the window and have the gun on her. Then grab her and throw her in the back floor. Carly reached the side of the car, lifted the door handle, but it was locked. The tinted window slowly lowered and Carly saw a square-shouldered woman with tight lips pointing a gun. Don't move. Make a move, and I'll kill you. Carly stood paralyzed. Get her! Sarah yelled. The back door sprang open, and Joseph bolted from the car. He grabbed Carly from behind and began to shove her toward the open door. Immediately, she fought back, sending her heel into Joseph's groin with a back kick. Cupping his genitals with both hands, Joseph dropped to his knees. Son of a bitch! Sarah thundered bursting out of the car, desperate to get Carly under control. Don't move, motherfuckers, boomed a loud voice coming from a thicket of bushes alongside the cabin. Holding a revolver with both hands, Ahmed cautiously approached, knees bent, taking one step at a time. Drop the gun, he yelled, keeping an eye on Sarah and then back to Joseph. Ahmed, Carly blurted, puzzled. Joseph scrambled from his knees and jerked Carly in front of him, putting his forearm around her neck. He tightened his hold, nearly choking her. A flash of silver appeared. Joseph held a switchblade to Carly's neck. Ahmed hesitated, momentarily lowering his draw. It gave Sarah an edge, a chance to shoot. A bullet hit his chest. The other grazed his head. Red splattered the snow-covered ferns and Ahmed fell to the ground. Wasting no time, Sarah walked up to him, lifted her gun, and at point-blank range pumped another round into his head. Ahmed! Carly screamed, then tucked her chin tight to her chest and sent her elbow into Joseph's ribs. Sarah charged at Carly and with the butt of her gun hit her above the right eye. She then hit her again. Carly fell limp as blood trickled down her forehead. Fuck it! Fuck her! Sarah said. Throw the crazy bitch in the trunk with Hayes. Sarah opened the trunk and shoved Hayes's body further to the back. Joseph lifted Carly onto his shoulder and carried her to the trunk. He dumped her next to Hayes. Horace bitch! He snarled, looking down at Carly's limp body. Joseph, get into the car! Let's get out of here. 
Sarah said as both scrambled to get into the vehicle. The Cadillac fishtailed as it took off, fleeing down the drive leading away from the cabin. Adrenaline galvanized Sarah into pushing even harder on the accelerator. Joseph sat gripping the dashboard with one hand and bracing his feet against the floor. Hearing what sounded like gunfire, David bolted to his deck. Trying to see where the sounds originated from, he noticed a black car driving wildly and fast. The car sped past him and disappeared around a curve. Within seconds, he heard what sounded like an explosion, followed by a blaring horn. Jesus Christ, he said. Flying off the steps, David followed the sound of the horn until he reached the accident. He saw the front end of a Cadillac wrapped around a tree, and the hood was smashed. Windshield glass lay scattered on the snow like greenish-white diamonds. Near the rear of the car, unmoving, was a deer, a doe. Her front legs lay bent beneath her, and blood dripped from her nose. David noted the vanity plate still intact. Savannah. Son of a bitch, it's Hayes. David approached the car, not wanting to look inside, afraid of what he would see. When he did, he saw two bodies, a man and a woman. Both were dead in the front seat, heads twisted, eyes open, unrecognizable. The airbags had been of little use. Shards of glass, hair, and blood splattered the interior of the Cadillac. The blaring horn showed no signs of weakening. Moving to the driver's side of the door, David found it locked. He carefully reached through the broken glass and removed the keys from the ignition, tossing them on the hood. The jammed mechanical component keeping the horn blaring dislodged, and the woods became silent again. The woods were eerie. David's heart beat rapidly as memories of roadside bombs tore through his head. He removed his cell and punched 911, then stopped. Carly, he remembered. She's supposed to be with Hayes. Avoiding the patches of silvery blue ice and keeping to the snowy edge of the road, David ran back to Carly's cabin. He leaped up the steps two at a time and began pounding on the door. Carly, he yelled grasping the handle and rattling the door. Peering through the window, he found the cabin dark. Turning from the door, David's body became rigid. He noticed a man, unmoving, lying in a widening pool of blood. Images of combat erupted in his mind. Grabbing the axe next to the woodpile, his recon skills kicked in. Step by step, he worked his way down, looking for any sign of movement. Once over the body, he knelt, placing his fingers to the man's neck. Nothing. Inches from the dead man's hand lay his gun. Dropping the axe, he picked it up, clicked on the safety, and removed the clip. Full. He jammed it back into the butt of the gun and shoved the gun under his belt. Around the body were several footprints, shuffle marks, and disturbed snow. David spotted a metallic object laying in the snow. He walked over and picked it up. It was a gold locket. Could she be in that car? Triggered by fear, David wasted no time returning to the wreck. He pulled on the passenger's door and looked in. 
Seeing nothing, he slammed the door and pounded his fist on the trunk. A noise from inside pounded back. Grabbing the keys from the hood, he pointed the clicker and pressed. Light invaded the dark trunk as Carly squinted, trying to focus. David, she whispered. Jesus, Carly, David said, looking down at the blood above her eye. What's going on? I'm not sure. Carly could barely get out. Someone tried to take me. Take you? Like kidnapping? Yes, she had a gun. Hold on, David said, as he lightly packed a fistful of snow. Let me see your head. He gently dabbed the wound, studying the jagged cut as he did. He took a hold of her hand, placing the snowball in it. Hold this up to your head so I can help you out of the trunk. Carly slowly lifted her hand and took a hold of the snowball, never opening her eyes. She placed it over the cut. Are you ready to sit up? You might be a little woozy. I think so, she said, opening her eyes. David carefully placed his hand under her back and gently lifted her. Carly groaned as he raised her into a sitting position. I feel sick. I think I'm going to throw up. Okay, just relax and breathe. When you're ready, I'll lift you out. Carly nodded. She kept the snowball to her head. How did I get here? I thought I heard gunfire and went to the deck to check it out. This car came flying, went around the curve and crashed. I mean, it sounded like an explosion. It must have hit a deer. There's a dead one on the side of the road. Oh, God, no, not one of my deer, Carly gasped, pushing herself out of the trunk with help from David. I want to see it. Carly's feet felt heavy as she made her way to the deer. David held her arm. She stood there, staring, saying nothing. Looks like a bomb went off. The front of the car is destroyed, David explained. Must have hit her mid-stride. Took out the whole windshield. Carly's eyes were locked on the dough. She saved my life. They were going to kill me. The woman had a gun, pointed it at me. She said she would shoot me. She would have done it. Mama Doe, she saved me. Where are the people who took me? In a deadpan voice, David answered, In the car. They're dead. Dead? Carly blurted out. Then a startled look came over her face. We've got to get back. Ahmed's there. She shot him. I have to go. I have to help him. Carly pushed past David, but he stopped her by the arm. She jerked away and said, I gotta help him. He's hurt. He's dead, Carly. The guy's dead, David said sympathetically. When I went back looking for you, I found him close to the cabin, on the ground, not breathing. I also found this. He reached in his pocket and pulled out a locket. Is this yours? It was lying not far from his body. Carly felt a cold ache strike her heart, the same kind of cold ache that struck her when she heard of Artie's death. She reached out her hand and took hold of the locket. Bewildered, she said, Jesus. I don't know what's going on. Why was Ahmed here?
Why are weird things happening? I gotta call Dr. Hayes. He can help me. He'll know what to do. David winced internally. You can't, he told her, noting the strain on her face. Why not? Pointing with his chin in the direction of the trunk, David said, I think he's in the trunk. That's how they got his car. David paused. A knowing expression crossed his face. You didn't know. My God, Carly, you didn't know. This is Dr. Hayes's car. This is his Cadillac. It has Savannah on the license plate. When I helped you out, he hesitated. I noticed a bulge in the carpet and shoes sticking out at the bottom. Crocodile leather, like the pair he always wore. Carly stepped away from David, heading toward the trunk. David grabbed her. Don't, Carly. You can only see his shoes. Let's leave it at that. In a somber voice, David told her, We have to get out of here. Go somewhere and figure all this out. We call the police. They'll separate us. Probably lock us up. They may even think we had something to do with this. The only ones that can explain what happened are dead. We need to get away from here. But where will we go? Town. We need a car. David reached into his pocket and pulled out his cell phone. Handing it to her, he said, The password is Penny. If something happens to me, or if we get separated, dial 911. He then reached behind his back and removed the pistol and placed it in his front waistband. Carly's eyes widened. Where did you get that? Found it lying next to your friend. May come in handy. Let me take one more look at your head. Carly stepped closer to David and angled her head toward him. David looked closely at the wound. Good. The bleeding looks like it stopped. Reaching into his pocket, he removed his wallet. I've got 40 bucks. What about you? Maybe 200. Wait, where's my purse? I don't have my purse. It's got to be somewhere. Wait here. I'll check. Carly watched David scavenge through the trunk. He grabbed the bottom of the rolled carpet and pushed with both hands, moving it aside. Nothing. It's not here, he said, looking up from the trunk, then slamming it shut. Maybe one of them grabbed it and threw it in the front. David went to the front of the Cadillac and looked in. He removed the stocking cap from Joseph's head, making sure Carly didn't see him. Nothing in the car, he said, walking back to Carly. Maybe it got lost during the struggle. I didn't see it when I was at your place. We have to go back. Maybe we'll find it there. Reluctantly, David asked her, Do you think you can make it back to the cabin? Carly didn't answer right away. Placing both hands on her head, she said, My head hurts when I touch it. It even hurts when I breathe. Do you think you can make it to the cabin? David asked again. We can go slow. Aggravated that she even had to make a decision, she snapped, As opposed to staying here with those godforsaken derelicts wasted in the car? I'd rather be locked in a cage with rats than stay with them. Let's get out of here. David handed Carly the cap. Put this on and pull it over your cut. We don't want people wondering what happened. Where'd you get this? Found it in the car, David said. He didn't mention he took it off a dead man. 
the snowmobile would not start. Over and over again, Lewis pushed the start button. The motor would not kick in. Not wanting the battery to be completely drained, he removed his helmet and lifted the hood. Pain in the ass, he thought as he tugged on each wire, hoping to correct a bad connection. He looked up when he heard another machine coming in off the trail. Pulling next to him and shutting off his engine was his partner, Clinton Steele. So the thing won't kick over, he said. I almost wore the battery down trying to start it, Lewis said. Steele unbuckled his chin strap and removed his helmet, then placed it on the seat between his legs. He pulled back his sleeve and looked at his watch. Where are you going? Your shift doesn't start for another 45 minutes. You didn't hear those shots? Lewis asked. Shots? No, didn't hear a thing. Can't hear squat with the helmet on. We really need to post the property better. This is the third time this month that I've had to kick hunters out. They come in off public land and don't realize they've wandered onto hospital grounds. Lewis pushed the hood of the snowmobile down until it latched in place. This is going to have to sit a while, he said. I need your machine. Be my guest, Steele said. I'll let the captain know it's time to spend some cash and get us a reliable backup. One sled just doesn't cut it. Louis Cardello climbed onto the machine and turned the key. He let the engine idle as he donned his helmet and put on his gloves. Over the quiet purr of the engine, he said, Remind the captain we were promised a new machine last year. Tell the old goat not to be such a pushover. He's got to be more of a hard-ass when it comes to hospital administration. Chuckling, Steele said, and I'll use those exact words when I talk to him. I'll make sure he knows those were yours, not mine. Lewis squeezed the throttle and headed down the trail, kicking up snow as he went. He steered his snowmobile by the stand of ferns that lined the road. Cruising at a low speed, he scanned the road ahead. Rounding a curve, he saw a deer lying dead on the road. Bright red blood oozed from its body, indicating a fresh kill. Not far from the deer was a car. The front end lodged into a tree. Lewis accelerated the snowmobile and stopped next to the Cadillac. His heart pounded as he removed his helmet and got off his machine. Peering into the window, he saw the unmoving bodies. Damn, he said out loud, then talked into the mic attached to his shoulder. Dispatch, need backup. South Fork Road, just south of the cabins. Looks like a deer-car collision. The calm, controlled voice of dispatch answered. Copy that. Welchester PD will be notified. Do you need EMS? Yes, two occupants, a man and a woman, Lewis said, as he opened the car door and took the pulse of the closest body. I think they're both gone, he relayed to dispatch. Carly waited while David searched for her purse in the snow alongside her cabin. The body of Ahmed lay still on the ground where Sarah took her last shot. A still-widening pool of blood surrounding his head. Grimacing, she turned away, squeezing her eyes tight. A white flash burst through her mind. An image appeared of a man, a ski mask over his face, holding a gun. Her face flushed. Her knees wobbled, and Carly grabbed a nearby tree branch to steady herself. The image faded as David ran back with her purse. Are you all right? David asked, placing the strap of the purse over his shoulder. 
You don't look so good. Carly shook her head and refocused. I'll be all right. Must be the bang to my head. Do I hear sirens? David paused and turned his head. A frown creased his forehead. Sounds like they're coming off Adams Road. It's just a matter of time before police will be swarming this entire area. He slipped his arm through Carly's and brought her in tight. You think you can walk the trail to Welchester, you? It isn't that far if we take the trail. Carly nodded. The packed snowmobile trail made it easier to walk. It skirted the university grounds, then split off at the student union parking lot. As the two walked arm in arm, David noticed movement in the woods. He lowered himself to his knees, bringing Carly with him. Might be security, David said just above a whisper. The noise in the distance kept getting closer. They both concentrated, hearing what sounded like branches snapping. They heard no voices. David carefully raised to his feet. Carly watched as a grin grew on his face. She immediately stood up. The fawn, Carly affectionately said. His mama would never have let him get that close to us. I think he's looking for her. He'll be fine, David assured her. It's a tough world for animals in the wild. He's old enough to make it on his own. The trek to the university center took too much time. As soon as they got there, David eyed the people while Carly contacted an Uber. The destination? Welchester's public library. Eight minutes, it'll be here, Carly said, looking up from the phone. His name is Carlos. It's a white minivan. Within minutes, the minivan showed up. There it is, David said, pushing the door of the university center open for Carly. The two walked to the van where the driver opened the side door and Carly and David got in. You're going to the library, right? Carlos asked. Yes, David answered. The Welchester Library on University. Get you there in ten. Carly handed David back his phone, then retrieved hers from her purse. I got a text from Megan, she whispered. Says the cops are all over the place and wants to know if I'm okay. Should I text her back? David paused before answering. Tell her you're in town with Dr. Hayes and you'll get back in touch. As Carly texted Megan, David watched Carlos weave in and out of traffic. Once in front of the library, he parked the van and turned on his flashers. Carlos then headed to the side of the van and opened it. David exited and handed him a rolled $5 bill. This is for you, he said. With a nod, Carlos took the $5 bill and tucked it into his front shirt pocket. Thank you, he said. You two have a nice day. As the van pulled away, Carly asked, Why the library? I'll explain everything, David answered, taking her by the arm and walking towards the door. First, let's get to the second floor. It'll be easier to explain from there. A half dozen people mingled outside the elevator doors. The red up-arrow button was lit, and they heard the chime as the door opened. Everyone shuffled in. Second floor? A man standing in the back said. We want a place by the window, David quietly said into Carly's ear. It's got to be facing University Street. You'll know why when I explain. The elevator rose to the second floor and stopped with a slight jerk. 
The two squeezed out and stood outside the elevator doors, looking around for a table. There's one, David said, leading her to a table in the mostly empty seating area. They seated themselves at a table with a view of the Royal Park Hotel, directly across the street from the library. Pointing to it, David leaned in and said, That's where we're going to steal a car. Carly's eyebrows narrowed. Steal a car? I don't know how to steal a car. You will after today, David said offhandedly. See those guys in valet parking jackets? They have our wheels. You're insane. I'm not stealing a car. We're already in enough trouble with Hayes being dead and the rest of them. What's next? Robbing a bank? Just hear me out. Carly's arms dropped between her knees and she slumped over. She focused on the gray floor tiles and then back at David. We're going to get into so much trouble. You and I are going to find ourselves back on the hill. That is, if we don't get thrown in jail first. Someone killed Dr. Hayes and Ahmed, and they went to great lengths to kidnap you. We don't know who's involved. It could even be the cops. Let's just get out of here first. We don't have time to think about anything else. Carly paused, saying nothing, while at the same time tapping her fingers on the table. Okay, I trust you. Where are we going to go? I've got an army buddy that lives on the west side of the state. He hates the government, doesn't trust him. Long story. I'm sure he'll let us crash at his place a couple of days. And there you have it. Don't forget to join me on Wednesday for Episode 12 of Operation Arrow Fletcher by James Burns. To check out more of my work, go to my website at kathycolas.com. That's C-A-T-H-I-C-O-L-A-S dot com. If you're an author looking to turn your book into an audiobook, email me at kathycolas at gmail.com. Let's talk. And if you like the podcast, please leave a review or share it on social media.